All right, kids. Go ahead and raise your hands up for me. Let me see where you're at. Okay. How many of you kids have parents? That should be all of you. All right. How many of you love your mom and your dad? Yeah. How many of you, uh, your mom and dad love you? All right. How many of you have like a sister or a brother? Okay. Do you, how many, keep your hands up if you love your sister or brother. Does anybody, put your hands down. Does anybody not love their sister or brother? That's good. I'm worried about that one. How many of you has a sister or a brother that loves you? Right? Okay. Do you think we should love our families? Raise your hand if you say yes. Okay, put your hand down. Raise your hand if you say no. Okay, do you think we should love our family more than anyone else in the whole world? Raise your hand if you say yes. It was a trap, and I gotcha. The, today, one of the things we're going to learn in the Bible is Jesus is going to tell us that we shouldn't love our family more than anyone else. There's one person that we should love more than anyone else. Anybody know who that is? God. That's right. We should love God more. Jesus says we should love him more because he's God, right? Yes. So kids, what I want you to do is I want you to go home today and I want you to ask your parents how they love God more than you and how they can teach you how you can learn how to love God more than them. Uh, talk together as a family about how we can apply these, this passage, these verses that we're going to learn about today in our lives together as a family. Um, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We're going to read uh, verses 25 through 35. Again, that's Luke chapter 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's going to be verses on the slides behind me. Again, we're going to read verses 25 through 35 of Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, that you haven't left us alone as your people to, to figure it out, to, to uh, try to understand on our own what it is that you require of us, but that you tell us in your word that you sent your Son into your creation uh, to, to make known to us what it looks like, what's required of us to follow him. We thank you uh, for these three conditions for discipleship that we get in Luke chapter 14. And we pray that you would send your spirit this morning to help us to, to understand what it is that Jesus is saying to us, that, that uh, perhaps you would use these words in this passage to move someone this morning who's, who's not following Jesus to being one of his followers. We pray that you would use your spirit to, to move those of us who are following Jesus to, to be uh, challenged and convicted for the ways in which we fall short of meeting these con- conditions as we live our lives day to day. We pray that you would use your word to, to encourage us and challenge us and convict us and stir our affections for you and who you are and what you've done for us and that you might move us uh, toward worshiping you rightly this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, Tim did a great job taking us through the first part of Luke 14. And so we pick it up in verse 25 today. Uh, Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that these great crowds gathered and Jesus stops to, to talk them, to teach them. Uh, and in this passage, he gives us these, these three conditions for discipleship. And then at the very end, there's that bit about the salt losing its saltiness. And so he's telling us that these three things... Uh, If we want to be his disciple, we must do them. If we don't do these three things, we cannot be his disciple. These are requirements for discipleship. And and when we hear that statement, when we hear those things, when Jesus is saying, like, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple, that should cause us to kind of wonder how that fits with everything else we know about salvation from the New Testament. Right? We believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? Uh, Jesus obeyed in our place. Jesus died in our place. God uh, forgives our sin because of who he is and what he's done, and he counts Jesus' righteous life for us. And that's not something that we earn. That's not something we deserve. That's not something that we merit. It's something that's given to us by grace through faith in Jesus. So we don't earn our salvation. We don't earn our discipleship. And so how does that then fit with Jesus giving us these three conditions in Luke 14? And I think there's this illustration that John Piper gives in Future Grace that's, that's helpful for us. He says this. He says, Suppose I say, uh, if you are on the plane, you will fly to Chicago. That is a genuine condition that has to be met. But it does not tell you who will buy your ticket or even if you will be carried helpless onto the plane. If someone else buys your ticket and carries you onto the plane, then you have fulfilled the condition of getting to Chicago. But you have not necessarily earned or merited the ride. It is crucial that we keep this distinction in mind. Not all conditions are means of meriting. In salvation, Jesus has bought our ticket. 
Right? He's carried us onto that plane. We're going to get to Chicago, but it's not because of who we are and what we've done. It's because of who he is and what he's done for us. But there are conditions that we have to meet as his followers, as his disciples. He gives us three of them in this passage. But those conditions, meeting those conditions, do not mean that we are deserving of the salvation that we have or that we merit it some way, that we earn it some way. Uh, And so let's look at these conditions together this morning. The first one is found in verse 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is is strong language, right? Uh, For us at our house, hate is a word we don't use. Uh, because it's a word that often gets used improperly uh, when we're mad at each other, when kids are mad at one another. And so we just, we just don't use this word. And so it's, it's strange to hear this strong of language on the lips of Jesus telling us to hate our family, telling us to hate our mother and father and our wife and our, our sons and daughters and our brothers and sisters. It's strange because Jesus also says, right, that the, the entire law, all of God's commandments can be summed up by saying that we should love God with all that we are and love our neighbors as ourselves. So how can we love our neighbor as ourselves, but then hate our family, right? This, this doesn't seem to make sense. And the reason why it doesn't make sense to us is because Jesus is talking in a, in a Hebrew way. He's, he's using a Hebrew turn of phrase. Uh, the technical term here is he's using a Semitic idiom. He's, he's speaking uh, as someone who is brought up in the Hebrew language. And when we understand that, we'll understand what it is that Jesus is saying to us. And so in Old Testament language, uh, loving someone more than someone else is often described as loving one thing and hating the other thing. Loving one person and hating the other person. And so, for example, Genesis 29, 30 through 31 says, uh, So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So in verse 30 of Genesis 29, we find out that that Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. So Jacob loves Rachel this much, but he only loves Leah this much. But then in the very next verse, it says that Leah was hated. And because of that, God opened her womb, but but Rachel was barren. So he, he loved her less, and then that's described as hated. And so what's happening here is loving one person more than another is described as loving one and hating another. Jesus is talking this way in Luke 14. And that becomes clear when we see how he explains it in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 10, 37, it says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so when Jesus here in Luke 14 tells us that if we want to be his disciple, we have to hate these people, what he's saying is that if we want to be Jesus' disciple, we must love him more than anyone else. We must love him more and love others less. So that's condition one. If we want to be Jesus' disciple, he is the one that we love the most. If we're not willing, if we're not able, if we're not capable of loving him most, then he says we cannot be his disciple. The second condition comes in verse 27. He says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The first thing that we need to think about with this verse is the context of where it's said. 
Jesus says these words as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's already predicted his death twice, twice to the disciples. He's, he's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem and he knows what awaits him there. He knows that he's headed to die on the cross. And so when he says things like take up your cross to his disciples, it's not just an empty phrase. He knows what he's asking his disciples to be willing to do. He knows what he's requiring of them as he throws out this condition. He's telling them that they need to be willing to die to themselves, to deny themselves, to commit fully to him, to surrender fully to them. That's what he's requiring with this condition. He's saying, if we want to be his follower, then we need to set aside everything that we want, everything that we desire. Our will doesn't matter anymore. His will is what matters for us. We need to be willing to be obedient even to the point of death like Jesus is as he's headed to the cross uh, right now in Luke 14. So the first condition, we must love Jesus more than anyone else. The second condition is we've got to be willing to take up our cross. We need to surrender our will to him and commit fully to his will for us. Then... Before we get to the third condition, he throws out these two illustrations about the importance of of counting the cost. Uh, The first one is this guy who's going to build a tower. And he says, you know, if you're going to build a tower, you first sit down, you count the cost. Because if you don't have enough to complete it, then you don't want to be mocked by everybody for just having part of a building built. Uh, Right now at our house, we're we're currently in the process of of planning to build on to our house. Uh, And... uh, ironically, normally, I'm the one in the family that's like, let's do this big, huge thing. It'll be fun. It'll be awesome. It'll be great. Uh, because I'm usually very, very optimistic. But in this case, our roles are reversed. And my wife is like, let's do it tomorrow. Let's just start. Let's build. And I'm like, Jesus says, let's count the cost. Let's slow down. Because we don't want to end up with a new foundation and no money to put anything on top of it. Uh, because people will mock us for that. We count the cost when we do things like this. If we were going to go to war, right, we would figure out whether we had enough soldiers to stop the other nation's soldiers. We would count the cost before we go to war. If we can't uh, think we can win, we would go and try to make peace before the battle starts. He's saying people normally count the cost. How much more, if we're going to count the cost in these areas, how much more should we count the cost and whether or not we're going to follow Jesus, whether or not we're going to try to live up to these conditions that he's throwing out to us? The third condition comes in verse 33. He says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is like the the catch-all condition, right? We've got to love Jesus more than anyone else. We've got to surrender to him, uh, even being willing to go to a cross of our own. And then last, we have to renounce everything other than him. Jesus is all we get. He is our all in all. He is the one that our life should be about and nothing else should compare. Nothing else should come close. He should be everything to us. That's what Jesus is asking from his disciples here. That's what he wants us to be like. Because if we don't do that, if we don't commit to him in these ways, if we don't live up to these conditions, we're going to be like this salt that he talks about at the end of the passage. Salt that has lost its saltiness is useless. The, The purpose of salt, like it has some preservative qualities, but the way we use it is that it adds flavor. Right? It doesn't really have a flavor of it its own, but it brings out, it elevates whatever flavor is in what it is that we're eating. And if salt doesn't do that, 
then it's not serving the purpose that it exists for. And it's even difficult to get rid of. We can't put it on the ground because it will kill stuff. We can't even put it in a, in a manure pile. It's just worthless. It becomes this nuisance. If salt doesn't have any flavor, then it's not really salt anymore. It's, it's something else. In the same way, if we are not disciples who are following these conditions, who are living like Jesus calls us to live, who are loving him more than anything else, who are surrendering to his will, who are renouncing everything else, if we're not those kinds of disciples, then we are like flavorless salt. We're, we're so-called disciples, but we're not doing the things disciples do. We're not serving the purpose for following him. We're not living like he called us to live. And we're just useless like flavorless salt. We're more of a nuisance than anything else. We are called to give all that we are in following Jesus. We are called to love him more than anyone else. We are called to surrender our will to his will. We are called to renounce everything other than him. And that's tough to hear. And he's saying, if we're not willing to do these things, then we cannot be his disciple. And so the primary focus of this passage is on people that are thinking about whether or not they should be Jesus' disciples. And so if, if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus, you haven't begun to follow him, uh, this is a, a great passage for you to jump in on. Because you get the opportunity to count the cost. You hear what it is that Jesus is requiring of us. Uh, it's not an, an easy thing to commit to. But I think it's more helpful to know what it is that he actually wants of us than it is to, to enter in uh, without counting, counting the cost. And so if you're here this morning and you want to know more of what it looks like to follow Jesus, you want to know more about what it looks like to put your faith in him, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that before you leave here this morning. Ask them to help you count the cost. Ask them to help walk you through what it looks like to put your faith in him. Um, ask them to explain what it means that we have to meet these conditions, but that we don't earn our way. If you're here this morning and you, you have trusted in Jesus, you are one of his disciples. And I would encourage you to, to ask the Spirit to show you the ways in which uh, where you may be originally were committed to Jesus in these three ways that, that maybe you've, you've kind of let off the gas in some ways in your discipleship to Jesus. The reality is that all of us probably wax and wane in these three areas, right? We probably struggle some to love Jesus more than anyone else. Sometimes we maybe elevate our spouse. Sometimes maybe we elevate our kids. Oftentimes we probably elevate ourselves above Jesus in our hearts, it's really easy to love us more than anyone else because we spend all of our time with us. It's really easy for us to forget that we're supposed to love Jesus more uh, than anyone, including us. And so we need the Spirit to show us the ways in which we're, we're failing to do that. And so I would encourage you to spend some time this week uh, with the Spirit, searching out your heart, searching out your life. Uh, take some points each day to evaluate what you've been doing that day and where your heart has been at in those actions. 
And so for us, right, we, a lot of us have kids in school. And so you, you wake up in the morning and you're getting your family ready uh, and you're getting your kids ready and trying to get everybody out the door. And usually by the time that's done, someone or everyone is mad at everyone else. After that happens, spend some time in prayer and, and find out, were you loving Jesus more than anyone else in those circumstances? Spend some time evaluating after you get home from work. Were you living like a disciple of Jesus in these ways while you were at work? Were you loving Jesus more when you were at work? Were you loving him more than yourself in those circumstances? Spend some time asking the Spirit to help you evaluate those things. We're called to surrender our will to him completely. There are probably times where we do that really well, and there are probably times where we don't do that well, where we are more focused on what we want for ourselves than what he wants and what he desires of us. So just like the other one, spend some time this week at different points of each day or at the end of the day evaluating whether you were living for yourself in your own will or whether you were living for the will of God, whether you were trying to do what he wants you to do or whether you were more focused on what you wanted to do. Were you being selfish or were you taking up your cross and following Jesus? The third thing he calls us to do is to renounce everything other than Jesus. So spend some time at the end of each day thinking about whether you did that. Honestly evaluating through prayer whether you were trying to give yourself for all these other things or whether you were trying to give yourself for Jesus. Were you trying to live for Jesus plus a bunch of other things or were you trying to live just for him? Spend some time asking the Spirit to help search you out to show you whether you are actually living like a disciple of Jesus or whether you are more like this salt at the end of the passage that's lost all of its flavor. We want to be who God calls us to be. We want to serve the purpose that he has called us to be his disciples in this world. In order to do that, we need to follow Jesus like he calls us to follow him. He is the one that gets to determine what we must do and who we must be as his disciples. And these are the conditions that he throws out to us. So if we want to follow him, we must live in these ways. We must meet these conditions. And it's not something that we can do in our own power. Right? Remember where we started. Right? Jesus is the one that bought our ticket. Jesus is the one that got us on that plane. It's not by our own work. It's not by our own power. It's not by our own merit. We don't earn our way. He earned it for us. And we shouldn't think that he's going to you know, get us onto the plane and then it's up to us to get the plane to Chicago. Right? His grace continues to empower us. His grace continues to work in us. He continues to sanctify us, to make us more like him. God conforms us into the image of his son. And so the way we grow in these areas is not by our own willpower, not by our own merit, and not by our own work, but it's by his grace working in us as we work out his salvation by walking in the obedience that he has purchased for us on the cross. He is the one who has done it. And so today, uh, I would encourage you to spend some time, as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper, spend some time praying about these things, and then continue to do that this week, that you might be evaluating whether or not you're living like a disciple instead of just going about your life like normal. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then Daniel is going to come and introduce the Lord's Supper for us this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word 
is full of, of hard sayings. That you don't, even though your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that you don't let us off easy. That you tell us what it is that you desire of us. That you give us conditions to meet even as you give us amazingly abundant grace to meet those conditions. We pray this week that you would help us to be faithful and intentional, that that we would apply your word to our lives and to our hearts, that we would be with the help of your spirit evaluating whether or not we're following you and the way that you called us to in Luke 14. We pray that you would help us to see the ways in which we love ourselves or love others more than you. We pray that you would help us see the ways in which we uh, want to do, uh, want to live our lives on the basis of our own will instead of your will. The ways in which we, we refuse to take up our cross and deny ourselves. We pray that you would show us the things that we strive for and live for and seek after uh, that are not you. And you would help us to faithfully renounce all of them as we cling to you and who you are and what you've done for us. Jesus, we thank you that our salvation is not based on us and our merits, but that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We thank you that that grace doesn't stop at the moment of conversion, but it continues throughout our lives as we follow you as your disciples. We pray that you would help us to be faithful to walk in the good works this week that you have prepared for us to walk in. It's in your name we pray. Amen.